Hello and welcome to the WAMDA podcast. My name is Triska Hamid and I'm the editor at WAMDA. In this month's podcast, we look at the travel industry and ask what's next for travel tech? Now, the travel industry was the worst hit when the coronavirus began to spread across the world and governments implemented lockdowns. Planes were suddenly grounded, airports shut, and thousands of people in the industry lost their jobs. Over the past few months, as lockdown measures have been lifted and governments attempt to attract tourists to reinvigorate their economies, pockets of opportunities are beginning to emerge. What is clear, though, is that the way we travel has changed dramatically. Last-minute holidays are no longer feasible as COVID tests pre-flight become mandatory and business travel is unlikely to recover for another three to four years. To get a better idea of how the travel sector has been impacted, I spoke with Mohamed Nasser, co-founder of UAE-based Funduk, and Ernesto Sanchez, managing director of Amadeus Golf. Now, you're likely to have interacted with Amadeus products when booking your holiday. As one of the largest IT companies in the world, the Spanish company essentially provides the back-end software infrastructure for many travel operators around the world. Ernesto, thank you for joining us on this podcast. Let's begin with the obvious. How has COVID impacted the travel industry overall? Uh, I would say that uh, obviously this is a, a quite peculiar uh, year. Um, uh, we had a, a few signs at the beginning of the year that uh, things uh, it was going to be a rough one, but obviously the, the, the circumstances have been very, uh, very different. I would say that all the players in the travel industry have been uh, impacted uh, heavily uh, by the situation. Uh, with uh, different uh, restrictions uh, all around the world. Um, uh, now we have been uh, more than uh, seven months into the, uh, the pandemic. Uh, we have seen a slight recovery uh, and uh, obviously, well, in some parts of the world, even the situation is uh, getting much better than we initially anticipated. For example, in China, uh, they are coming back to the pre-COVID levels on all the domestic uh, travel. But still, uh, uh, we, are, we have a long recovery uh, ahead of us and it will take a, a few months or even years in some cases uh, to go back to the pre-COVID levels in 2019. Do you have any statistics on how much travel fell by? Well, it, it depends on the part of the world uh, because the regions have uh, basically uh, uh, they, they have been behaving uh, very differently. Uh, obviously, big countries which, uh, domestic, with the domestic travel, like Saudi Arabia, uh, behave in a different way than countries which we don't have uh, uh, domestic travel, like is the case of, uh, of UAE. And it depends also on the government uh, uh, restrictions. Uh, so. Uh, it's difficult to say at what extent uh, uh, the countries have been impacted. Uh, some, uh, some of them were uh, recovering earlier than expected. Some of them have created travel bubbles. That was the case, for example, of uh, Australia and, and New Zealand. Uh, so uh, rather than having like a global impact, uh, um, well, in this case, IATA has been providing some uh, numbers of that. I think we, we need to deep dive into the regional and local circumstances of, of each market uh, to see what has been the impact. So can you give me some light on what happened in Saudi? 
And where are they now? Yeah, well, Saudi Arabia obviously is the, is the biggest market in the in the region. Uh, so uh, obviously, due to the restrictions, uh, all the flights uh, were grounded starting uh, end of March, if I recall well. Now, in the case of Saudi Arabia, we are seeing that uh, uh, some of those restrictions have been lifted after six months, and uh, uh, obviously, we expect a, a recovery. Uh, so, uh, according to the IATA, uh, uh, to the IATA figures, uh, the impact in the Middle East specifically has been something around uh, 60% decline uh, versus the levels of 2019. How do you see the way people travel changing now compared to what might happen in the future? Well, actually, uh, I would say that the, the current circumstances, uh, COVID itself, is, is a game changer for the industry in uh, many, many different ways. So uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, uh, we decided to uh, co-sponsor a report uh, uh, with the Inside Out uh, called uh, Our Life After the Pandemic, because we wanted to see, we wanted to take a look into what's going to be the behavior of the travelers in the, in the, in the near future. So we asked uh, thousands of consumers in the MENA region, uh, basically, how do you see the, the future the future plan so the the, the results were quite interesting i would say nearly 90 percent of the travelers or the consumers uh, surveyed indicated that they would go out and do something social right after the lockdown restrictions are are lifted and um, uh, with international travel is still limited due to the countries being in various uh, stages of the recovery there is a much greater demand right now for staycations and we have seen that consistently uh, all across the region so um, uh, we don't know how long this is going to take to, to recover but we can see clearly most of the travelers focusing on domestic traveler uh, travel or uh, staycations rather than international uh, uh, travel also there is a strong preference now for outdoor activities uh, versus, uh, well, in this case, 40% of the consumers uh, surveyed uh, were keen to escape to a beach resort for the first uh, mini uh, gateway uh, rather than going on holidays based on cultural sightseeing or other uh, uh, lifestyle activities. And of course, um, all of them uh, massively, they, they will remain cautious and they will prefer minimal contact outings uh, to avoid a high-density uh, environment. So uh, roughly uh, 6 out of 10 poll respondents say that uh, there would be uh, social vacations, opting to visit places with uh, smaller uh, uh, crowds. And this is likely to continue this kind of behavior uh, till uh, uh, we see clearly a, a vaccine on uh, COVID-19 uh, coming. As things start to ease, are we likely to see more interregional travel or will it be more domestic people staying for the staycations? Yeah, well, uh, absolutely. Uh, the, the focus is going to be domestic first and probably interregional. Okay, and um, uh, actually, uh, this means that uh, there will be uh, also opportunities for different players in the, in the industry. Uh, right now, what we see, for example, is that hygiene is going to uh, is becoming already a signature feature of any travel product or service. So uh, all the different providers who are offering um, uh, services uh, to all the different travelers or products, uh, and they need to have impeccable hygiene standards. And uh, uh, basically, uh, destinations are expected to continue having smaller capacities, but the uh, hygiene is becoming some kind of quality stamp. 
So for all the travel business, uh, and uh, this is something that all the travelers are going to take into consideration uh, whenever they are going to choose one provider or, or the other. So hygiene uh, through certifications or some other programs like wellness ambassadors that we can see from many other airlines, etc. cetera, uh, is going to become something extremely uh, important and it's going to uh, make uh, all the travelers uh, basically take a decision into one direction or another. I've seen already some startups emerge that deal with the hygiene side for airplanes and um, buses and trains. So there is the opportunity for new technologies to emerge. What are you seeing on the ground in terms of the, the new types of technologies that are being developed, both software and hardware? Uh, absolutely. What, what we have seen is that uh, especially any kind of touchless technology uh, and anything related with uh, sanitization in general hygiene uh, uh, is going to be a must in the short term. Uh, uh, airports, uh, airlines, uh, or I would say hotels, all the different providers, all the different steps uh, in the uh, in, in the trip uh, will uh, make a touchless technology uh, the core of their services that they offer, uh, trying to provide some kind of peace of mind to the to the travelers. Uh, especially, I would say probably the airports are the ones who have been uh, the airports and airlines are the ones who have been reacting uh, quickly uh, on this. And uh, what we are seeing is that now that the airports are being open, uh, the, the travel experience, the, uh, especially at the airport and with airlines, has changed uh, dramatically. And everything, as I said, is uh, around uh, hygiene and touchless technologies. How has Amadeus responded? What has been the impact on you guys? Well, obviously, uh, all the different players in the travel industry have been uh, heavily impacted. Uh, we have been analyzing the, the industry and providing all our support to all the different players and, uh, and customers. And uh, actually, we are uh, empowering all the different uh, uh, providers, in the case of the airlines, with our technology uh, to make sure that any kind of uh, uh, touchless uh, solutions that they uh, launch are uh, basically uh, being powered by, by Amadeus, by our technology. And also, uh, in the case of travel agencies uh, uh, as well, facilita facilitating as much as we can any kind of uh, uh, trips that need to be uh, rebooked, uh, refunded with our technology, etc. Just as a reminder, I mean, Amadeus spends 15% of the revenue on the yearly basis on R&D, and that didn't change. So that we are uh, talking about the hundreds of millions of euros that on a yearly basis we invest on uh, technology that is supporting all the different players, even through these difficult times. How do you guys engage with startups around the world and particularly in the Middle East? Well, we, we have different programs uh, all around the world. So what we are doing is uh, we are supporting uh, startups uh, uh, in different uh, ways. Uh, all the startups in the travel industry, we are interested uh, in, in providing them any kind of guidance or support uh, based on our expertise. Uh, and uh, uh, there are different uh, incubators programs, uh, especially in the US and the APAC as well. And uh, we even launched uh, one in the, uh, uh, we had a startup contest in the case of uh, uh, Middle East uh, based in Dubai a few years ago. So uh, obviously we believe that the startups are essential for the travel industry and they come with new and uh, fresh ideas and we as Amadeus are, are willing to support them as, uh, as much as we can. Is the opportunity as big now um, as it was before? I think the opportunities is still big and we need to be um, somehow optimistic. I mean uh, optimistic but realistic at the same time. 
we are in the part of the world which is extremely resilient and even travel industry itself is very resilient. Um, so even if we think today that uh, things have changed uh, uh, forever, uh, we, we are confident that we will come back to the, uh, to the levels that we had in 2019 uh, sooner or later. It's just a question of time uh, that we, we, we get there. And uh, precisely because uh, things are changing in the travel experience, there are plenty of new opportunities for startups with new technologies, with new way of thinking, with new products, with new solutions. So uh, um, those startups uh, can add a lot of value to all the different players in the in the industry, uh, coming with uh, these uh, new ideas and with the new solutions that will shape the future of travel. Let's talk a bit more about the future of travel. How are things going to change besides regulations around social distancing, how the capacity on a plane, um, and taking extra care and extra precautions? Um, well, uh, obviously things are going to change forever because this is a major event and the, the major events uh, uh, reshape the, the industry for the new years to, to come. Uh, probably what we will see in the near future is like a, the massive adoption on any kind of uh, touchless uh, um, technologies all across the change uh, uh, or the different stages of the, of the trip, um, um, uh, pre-trip, uh, on-trip, post-trip, touchless is going to be and anything that will uh, facilitate uh, uh, will ensure that the travelers are, are healthy uh, will make a major uh, difference. Uh, that's going to be one, one thing. Also uh, referring um, to this uh, uh, hygiene or uh, stamps. Uh, so uh, we expect uh, different players to have some kind of certifications and those certifications uh, related to anything related to health uh, will make a, a difference in the in the near future. Um, uh, but last but not least, irrespective of this, uh, uh, we are confident that uh, this is just uh, the, the COVID at the end is just a, a, a warning uh, in the industry and in a game changer. So it's something that at the end, uh, with the years, uh, we will recover the, the, the previous uh, levels that we had in 2019 for sure. So once a vaccine becomes widely available, are these kind of new technologies that are being introduced in the travel industry going to remain um, relevant? Absolutely, yes. Because um, uh, what we are seeing right now is that, uh, well, uh, the, the COVID is not the first virus which is impacting the industry. We had other cases in the past of other viruses which were impacting the industry, but obviously at a completely different scale, okay? like uh, the case of uh, SARS and, and, uh, and some others. So uh, these technologies are here to stay because thanks to these technologies and once the COVID is gone and we have the vaccine, traveling probably will be safer than ever. How do we make it easier for people or more comfortable for people to get onto a plane or, or to get out of their home city and, and travel? Um, well, I, I think that most of the players in the, in the industry, they are now in learning mode. What I mean by that is that it's the first time ever that the, the, the travel industry has been facing a challenge like this. So no one, even the governments, they didn't know how to react at the beginning. So it's a learning process for all the different uh, uh, players. Traveling right now is, let's say, a more complex experience than it used to be in the past. Uh, in, my, in my case, I, I was traveling uh, back to UAE a few days ago. So I found, for example, the attitude uh, from the uh, crew at the plane uh, on the um, uh, on the whole uh, a check-in process, etc., uh, essential because uh, it, 
Traveler has to go through so many uh, rules right now and uh, challenges as well, uh, including uh, filling forms, uh, including different kind of tests. So what is making a difference is how you are being treated, for example. I mean, what's the attitude of the uh, people who uh, um, uh, who you are flying with or, or, or at the airport? Um, obviously, uh, I think that uh, with time, uh, things and the regulations and the rules uh, will be eased or will be modified uh, to facilitate facilitate uh, traveling um, but uh, still uh, there are many studies are there that have already confirmed that uh, traveling is safe that what we mean by that is that uh, you are inside the plane you are traveling for a few hours uh, with uh, plenty of people around you as far as you uh, follow the guidelines and the rules including wearing a mask at all the times uh, when required maybe using gloves and the use of sanitizers uh, it's, it's a safe environment okay so uh, that that shouldn't uh, prevent the travelers from basically uh, booking their tickets and moving around. Uh, it's a learning experience, as I said before. Uh, we still, uh, the different players need still to gain the trust back of all the different players, but I'm really confident that that's going to happen in the short term. Can operators continue if they are limited by the capacity? So if they're only operating at 50% or 70%, is it sustainable in that sense? I would say that probably most of the uh, providers are struggling in some cases uh, because uh, the demand is low and uh, the low factors of some airlines uh, are, are low. However, uh, what we have seen is very creative uh, solutions. For example, in the case of uh, uh, UA, we've, we've seen many of the airlines uh, using uh, passenger planes for cargo and uh, mm -hmm. that was providing them with uh, uh, quite a lot of revenues in the last uh, in the last months so i think that's going to happen more and more what, what airlines will see and uh, different providers is how they can reinvent themselves and how they can reuse part of their um, uh, basically part, part part of their capacity that they have in order to boost uh, other parts of their businesses so that at the end obviously uh, uh, that contributes to the profitability of all the different players we talk about the demographics of the Middle East a lot, the fact that two thirds of the population is under the age of 30. Is this demographic likely to speed up the, the recovery of the travel industry compared to other parts of the world where the population is aging? Absolutely, yes. Um, precisely because uh, this generation, as you were saying, that uh, I mean, mo most of the uh, countries in the Middle East, countries like UAE, uh, Saudi Arabia and some others, uh, there is roughly one third of the population or even more which are below 15, 16 years old. So uh, there is a high percentage of the population which are uh, below 20 and below 30. Um, these generations grew up in a constant uh, travel industry boom. What I mean by that is that the, the growth has been almost exponential in the last five to 10 years. So they got used to the fact of traveling on a very regular basis. And that's, that's part of their, uh, of their, of their, of their life. Um, obviously they, 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 they are eager to go back to, to that uh, normality. And I'm sure that probably they are going to be the first ones who will be demanding, uh, uh flying back uh, again to different destinations and probably, uh, the other, uh, the, 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 the the rest of the population will follow right after. In April this year, Funduk graduated from the WAMDA X Fellowship Program. 
I spoke to one of the co-founders, Mohammed, about their experience during the pandemic. Mohammed, let's start off with exactly what Fonduk is and, and what you guys do. Um, we are essentially a, a guest experience management uh, platform uh, for short-term rental uh, apartment operators and independent hotels. So uh, at Fondo, what we're trying to do basically is reimagine the entire way a guest interacts with the operator of the apartment, of the hotel, and the, and the, the, the unit that they'll be staying in. In an age where contactless interfacing, uh, where uh, tech enablement is, everything is at a premium, we want to make sure that we give the guests the most out of their stay by checking in remotely, uh, scanning their documents and sending them to the operator remotely, not having to interface with a, with a guest relations officer, and then have a solution in their apartment or on their device, should they choose, through which they can um, download or access the apartment guide to learn how to operate uh, the washing machines or use the lights. Uh, to order services, whether it's room service in a hotel or whether it's third-party food uh, uh, vendors in an Airbnb, and even uh, do, do things like book restaurants, book experiences across the city. We, we just we want to make sure that um, what seems to have been a, a, a process that was quite dated now, of the front desk and check-ins, and even with the with the access cards, etc., for for room keys, we want to make sure that all of this as catalyzed by, by the events of 2020, can move into the future in a manner that is unlocking the full potential of all these different technologies under a single platform. So this is this is really what Fundoc is. When did you guys launch this? Uh, we launched um, around right around uh, Valentine's Day of 2020. So about a month or so before uh, we launched in Dubai. So about a month or so before before Dubai got locked down because of the COVID measures, COVID mitigation measures, and, and you know, subsequently, uh, travel around the world has uh, has almost ground to a halt for the best part of five months or so so it it had um, it had been a challenging time of course for a travel uh, slash hospitality tech uh, startup but we i mean you know as an entrepreneur you're a perpetual optimist so uh, it, it comes with the territory so we really tried to look at the silver linings and, and and so we really wanted to take the time and make sure that as travel rebounds as as things open up we have the right solution with the right level of ambition and and, and traction uh, to be able to really um, you know address rather than being a, a good to have but address a real concern or, and and provide our clients with a, a real solution that would be valuable for them I'm keen to know a bit more about your thought process. As lockdown started and international travel came to a halt, what went through your mind? Did you think, what have we done? Yeah, no, of course we did. I mean, there, there, there was a good week or two uh, of the hyperventilation and uh, you know hypertension and, and all the sort of stuff that you'd imagine would, would come along with the territory. But look, I mean, uh... We, we, we've been there before, especially, um, you know, we, I've, I myself uh, have lived in Dubai for the best part of a couple of decades. My co-founders have both uh, lived in the, in the GCC and in Dubai for, for some time as well. So we know we know the cyclical nature of, of everything. And, and it's just a matter of making sure that you utilize the time given to you in a, in a proper manner to be able to, to come out of it, you know, not, not just treading water or standing still, but to come out of it with something different and, and, and learn from the experience. So whether we like it or not, this, is, this has been a, 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 an extremely impactful few months and it's up to you to be able to make of it what you can. Of course, safety and, and, and all these and health, all these more important concerns addressed primarily, but 
all that aside, uh, from, from a business perspective, you can't let an opportunity like this pass you by without learning something from it. And this is what we really wanted to do. What exactly did you learn? And uh, how did you use that time when you couldn't grow, you couldn't do what you had planned to do? The, the idea had started as, um, I, I don't even want to say the words because we're trying to, to, to remove ourselves away from, from this concept as much as possible. But when, when we, whenever we pitched the idea prior to travel grounding to a halt, it always seemed like to, to the person listening to us that we were an e-concierge, which we never really wanted to be. But the time for reflection and the time for growth in an, in an area where growth of the product rather than um, you know business growth rather than uh, revenue and whatever uh, and, and fundraising because I mean of course it was virtually uh, nonsensical to try and raise funds during that time so we we didn't have the normal pressures that uh, a regular startup under normal operating procedures would have to go to we, we were more introspective and, and, and more reflective so we believe we've finally been able to convey and communicate what we are beyond just uh, an e-concierge. Uh, what we want to do is reimagine the way these interactions occur on, on, at every level, you know, and, and it's easy for like um, an SPG or uh, whatever uh, to, to implement a, a solution across the world and invest a lot of money, but independent hotels and operators of holiday homes are unable to, to catch up and fully utilize any any capex that they do in, in 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 tech, and this is where we come, you know, really helping them to catch up and become equal, and provide a luxury offering to their guests and enhance their guest experience in an era where where uh, people just don't want to interact with other people as much. People are weary. Uh, people want to leverage technology as much as possible. People don't want to download a million apps on their phones uh, because they they're already inundated with them. So. This is this is what we what we've done with that with our time. We've completely revamped our back end solution. We've completely revamped our customer our guest facing solution. We've decided to launch uh, complementary uh, applications to uh, the original device only uh, solution that we had uh, launched with. Uh, we've grown our portfolio of, of of customers and really engaged with them and understood their problems and their concerns moving into the future. Conversations that we have in a, privately and other conversations that we've hosted. Uh, on a webinar sessions as well, on webinar sessions as well to be able to understand where people see travel going and and really learn from all of that and and and, and filter it back into the business and to enhance the solution. Before we talk about where travel is headed, I want to take it back to pre-corona times. What was happening in the space? How did the non-SBG type hotels compete in that space? Yeah, um, it's it's funny because uh, originally we had we had definitely uh, looked only at uh, the short-term rental uh, holiday home solution, which was the largest growing segment segment in international uh, travel, um, Airbnbs and, and and as such. So the operators of large banks of those independent apartments would generally come together uh, and 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 uh, provide solutions for the landlords and the owners of those apartments to to lease them out in a systematic fashion. Uh, so this is this is who we had uh, looked at, and they they had been. I mean, despite the, their segment growing and and their revenues uh, possibly growing year on year, they had been struggling to diversify revenues, and that was the whole idea initially, with with uh, the solution to be able to help these guys provide a hotel experience in an apartment and diversify their revenues just beyond the bed or the accommodation uh, stream. But of course, as, as we've learned, this is a, a nice to have, but the need to have looking at the future is a need to have 
a revolutionary way of interacting with the guest and uh, and the manner um, and a way to look at the op- their operations completely differently. Uh, whereas you know you want to provide the luxury uh, experience to your guest, the the traditional means would be to dedicate a butler or a or a guest relations officer a check in and check out. But the future the the the, the strains on on overheads are such that. You simply can't do that, whether you're in a three-star independent hotel or a four-star independent hotel or an operator of short-term rentals. So this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to um, unburden them from these uh, legacy understandings of what a luxury experience is while making sure that the guest experience is not only maintained but enhanced. How big was this particular sector in the Middle East? Um, in Dubai in particular, I mean, look, um, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult to uh, get non-Airbnb uh, numbers uh, because uh, a lot of the stuff, especially in countries like where I'm from in Egypt and, and in Jordan, a lot of that sector is informal and unregulated. Dubai, we're very lucky because DTCM regulates the market and it has been growing in the thousands of apartments, double-digit growth for the past five years, and uh, it had been expected to, you know, we, we all know the stories, long-term rents had been on a steady de- decline for a few years, so a lot of uh, owners of uh, second and third apartments decided to migrate the offering from a, a long-term sort of uh, rental into a short-term rental, which seemed to be garnering, garnering a higher return and would give them to these uh, property management or short-term rental uh, management companies to manage on their behalf, especially for those owners who did not live in Dubai. So it had been an, on a steady trajectory of growth, as, as had been the tourist arrivals in Dubai. So they went hand in hand w- with each other. Of course, the disruption of 2020, uh, no one has, has yet been able to take toll of, uh, of what that impact is. But, you know, with, uh, with Expo moving to 2021 and uh, hopefully uh, a lot of the structural problems that we faced in this year or, or, or the acute problems that we faced this year, uh, hopefully no longer being relevant next year, we, we hope that the growth trajectory uh, continues uh, as it had been prior to 2020, which we, uh, we, we imagine on a three-year uh, scale would then be uh, leveled out and uh, hopefully uh, forgotten. Have you seen tourist numbers pick up? The current almost uh, you know unanimous feedback that we're getting from our from the conversations with our clients is that they're all uh, doing fantastically in terms of occupancy numbers. You know, uh, uh, late seventy percent, uh, early eighty percent, even. Um, but it's mainly uh, domestic travelers uh, from within uh, the UAE or uh, people who have decided to uh, migrate from a long-term rental contract into a a more flexible short-term solution as their future becomes less uh, certain. Tourism has rebounded to a degree, but it's been more essential tourism rather than leisure tourism. Anecdotally, you know, I I have a lot of friends of mine who have uh, interests, non, non-business, but like uh, properties, etc., in, in Dubai, from Egypt, from Europe, etc. And once the borders had opened up, they decided to go back and visit and to, to make sure that they check in on, on their, on their uh, interests there. So uh, almost all of them had decided to stay at uh, Airbnbs rather than at hotels because of the, the, the value proposition. So uh, while, while, while tourism at the moment is definitely from a zero, it has grown, but the vast majority of, of uh, residents making, the, making up those numbers are either domestic uh, staycationers or uh, people who've moved from a long-term contract to a shorter term contract. What are people looking for when they do check into a hotel or an Airbnb? 
Have the requirements changed in any way? Yeah, of course. I mean, look, uh, in terms of ancillary services, uh, if you're a long-term resident, you're not looking for someone to tell you wh where the best places to go eat and dine are, or where to get tickets for uh, at the top or at Burj Khalifa. So, so that, that whole ancillary services industry that's geared towards a tourist, I, I, I wouldn't say irrelevant, but, but less, less relevant than had you been conversing with, with a, a foreign tourist who was completely un unfamiliar with the city and, and didn't have their own purchasing behaviors and, and, and pathways, etc. But what we find that people are really looking for is uh, convenience. So uh, if you're able to provide them with a solution to order groceries without having to download another app, without having to put credit card details, etc. So these essentials are, are what's placed at a premium at the moment for, for these guests. Uh, food as well, you know, so if you're providing a decent brand of food that is economical and can satisfy the day in day out food requirement rather than a, a fancy burger for the weekend this is the stuff that uh, those guests at those uh, particular apartments are, are seem to be um, interested in at the moment but but i mean we expect that to change as travel changes uh, by uh, by the cusp of the new year we hope there's a lot of talk about the impact of working from home on business travel is that a segment that will ever reach levels of pre-corona? Of course, no one, no one has a crystal ball and can, can look into the future and, and tell uh, exactly what's going to happen. But it seems to be that the consensus amongst everyone working in the sector that uh, business travel will never be the same. Uh, whether, whether, it, uh, whether there are new uh, tech-enabled solutions that travel tech companies can leverage to be able to provide a solution for companies and yet still make a, a, a return uh, on part of the e-travel e or whatever. But it seems like uh, the consensus is until medically things are safe, business travel will not rebound. The, the one thing that will continue being of relevance are these mega meetings and conferences, etc., and exhibitions. But just uh, hopping on a plane to Kuwait or to Saudi for a one-hour powwow is just uh, something in the past. Where does this all leave the luxury sector in travel? So um, I think uh, the, the, the conversation has moved from, uh, from like a definition of luxury as a, as a standalone uh, thing, because uh, it, I, I think the, the conversation is more geared towards guest experience at the moment. Um, and, and with that, Big, you know, of course, there is the, the the luxury aspect to it, but the health and safety, at least for the for the for the short term, is going to be as important as you know um, Egyptian cotton sheets or uh, uh, you know it's 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 good to have a, an amazing uh, you know uh, Indian jasmine air freshener in the room. But uh, you're not. You don't feel safe um, uh, using using um, the faucets because they don't seem to have been cleaned well enough. So, so I think guest experience as a as a as a whole is um, is what these businesses are looking or these uh, these operators are looking at from a holistic perspective, rather than just a, a luxury offering for luxury's sake. It needs to be uh, part of a coherent understanding of what the guest experience is all about and, and why the guest has decided to, at this point in time, or even a year from today, decided to engage, embark on what can be perceived as a risky proposition of getting, getting aboard a plane, 
traveling across international borders, staying somewhere that's not their um, safe space, interacting in a foreign place and then moving back. So what is the what is the overall guest experience supposed to look like for the guest to be able to uh, achieve what they desire from their trip? I think this is this is the, the, the bigger question at the moment on, on operators minds. Do you think that this will present an opportunity for the Airbnb places since you have more control over who comes in uh, as opposed to a big hotel where you're sharing facilities with plenty of other people? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So I think it provides everyone with an opportunity. Anytime there's an inflection point, there, there's a potential to make use of that point. There, there are theories that, you know, uh, and, and, and we see this in reality, you know, uh, like I told you anecdotally anyway, people would prefer to stay at, at this point in time in those Airbnbs for the exact same reasons that you just mentioned, because it seems like uh, it's more sanitary, you have more control over your uh, your surroundings, uh, you control who comes in, who comes out, you're not, like you say, you're not uh, uh, sharing a, a restaurant or a pool or whatever with a, a number of people who you, who you don't know. But I, I personally believe it also presents an opportunity for, for those hotels as well to be able to do something uh, should, they, should they be able to communicate with, with their guests, their protocols? Because the flip side of it is these, these are institutions that have more to lose. So their efforts might be, uh, might be seen as, as, as more authoritative. We have a, a sanitation program and you know, we're regulated by X and Y and Z. So we know what we're talking about. But uh, for, for sure, at this point in time, in my conversations with, my, with, with people I know who've, who've traveled, it seems to be that their, their preference has been uh, to stay at these Airbnbs or the likes because of the very reasons of uh, control on, on, on the surrounding environment. How do people interact with technology when they're traveling and staying in a hotel or Airbnb? I never download any apps. It's excessive and to me, unnecessary. Is it, is the general population like that or are they willing to interact with a screen in order to communicate with the concierge or other services? Yeah. So, um, I, I, I think, uh, you, you, are quite right in saying that no one just, no one wants to clutter their, their, uh, telephone or their device, smart devices, real estate with yet another app that they're going to use for five days. And Lord knows what that application does in terms of privacy and data mining. So I, I, I think, uh, I think that, that, uh, particular aspect does entail a lot of friction and for the user experience to be enhanced it needs to be a frictionless experience. So there needs to be, we need, you know, people in, in travel tech always need to find a way to um, provide the solution to the guest without imposing um, or imposing as little as possible um, actions from the guests in terms of downloading or, or filling in a form or registration, providing an email, credit card, all that stuff. So, um, and, and this is what we're looking at. We're looking at uh, uh, not just a solution, like you say, where you just speak to the concierge through a, through a device or, or you do, do this through a, another device or through, we're looking at uh, all these different technologies exist. Uh, the, 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 the keyless uh, or the smart keys, the, the, the IP keys, the access cards for the, for the elevators, the, uh, ordering online. So a, a way to link that all together in a manner that is seamless through a device and the complementary application that is not downloaded, but is an application that you access 
on demand. If you're out and you want to book a car, you just go to that uh, application and it disappears once you transact with it. And it has all your information because it's booked in with the, with the, the PMS system of the hotel and you've authorized it during check-in. You've checked in using the device. You can now check in using your phone. Uh, you don't need to uh, stand in line at a very busy front desk at three in the morning. So this is, this is what we're looking at. We're looking at revolutionizing that whole process, not just in bits and pieces, but all together so that it makes sense for you, uh, Triska, as a traveler. Ah, yes, thank God I've got this because it's, it's like a fast track at, a, at, a, at immigration in Dubai International, you know, you get, you, or, or, or using the, the smart gates uh, as, a, as a resident of Dubai. It's, it's, it's technology, but it's done so seamlessly that you really want to be part of it rather than otherwise. So I, I think this is, this is the, the, the only way for, for travel tech, because like you rightly said, everyone's looking for a bit of luxury when they travel. You don't, you don't want to be asked to do stuff. You want the stuff to be done for you. So if you find a way to do this stuff for the guest and all they need to do is just do what they do more efficiently, that's what it's all about. How do you get an app that is on demand and disappears? Is it through the browser? Yes, yes. So, the, so it's all about web, uh, web apps at the moment. You know, you don't need to go to the store and download an app, etc. So there are browser-based apps like the QR codes that you scan at restaurants at the moment. And it, it, it has a manner by knowing, uh, knowing your data and, and then it's, it's on the browser and then it goes and then you scan it again and then you get it and, and then it goes again. So this is a web-based apps are, are what we're uh, developing at the moment. In terms of your supply, how much growth have you seen? Uh, we've had doubled our inventory uh, twice since we've uh, started. Operators are, are very interested and keen in, in, in signing up with us. However, we want to make sure that uh, because at the end of the day, a lot of what we do is, is serving the guest experience. So we have to have uh, the guest experience at, at, at heart and make sure that we grow in a manner that we continue improving the, 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 the guest experience because the guest, the guest interacts directly with, with our solution, with the Fondoc, but the operator is the one who owns the, the guest experience. So any problem that they face on our solution is a problem for our client. And we can't risk that because, you know, we're trying to build long-term relationships with these people and make sure that their, their offering improves. So while we've grown tremendously, uh, we're, we're, we're happy uh, to continue uh, deployment and, and growth at a steadier pace towards uh, the end of the year. And I imagine this growth will mean nothing without actual travellers coming in and booking these rooms. Yeah, I mean, look, um, of course, the transactional aspect of the solution is, is dependent upon uh, continuous travel. But uh, this, isn't, this isn't the only thing that we do offer our, our, our clients. Like I said, we offer uh, a revolutionary ways for them to interact and, and, and to communicate with each other and, and, and to report problems and, and to systemize uh, bookings and communication pre-book, pre-check-in and post-check-in. So all of that stuff is, is uh, of course, contingent upon, um, upon travel, but not contingent upon a tourist or a foreign sort of traveler. So uh, as, as long as they're, um, they're getting the occupancy rates that we see at the moment, which we believe will be the case, at least for the coming six or seven months until travel picks up, everybody should be in a, in a good space. Thanks to both of our guests and thanks to you for listening. You can listen to all of our other podcasts on wonder.com or through your podcast provider. 